all you have. We would be honored if you would join us. What's happening, Star Wars fans? Nothing new on my side of the galaxy. I'm just still trying to get settled in. I don't care what anyone says. Moving to a new state is rough. Trying to figure out the roles and how everything operates, it's just overwhelming. You know, you got to figure out people, you know, and all that different stuff where everything is. It's just, yeah, it's frustrating. And I moved from a big city to a small city. I mean, Denver, Colorado to Columbia, Missouri. That's like 2 million people down to 200,000 people. I didn't even know Columbia even existed until I met my wife. But everything will work out. It always does. But enough about me. Let's get to the book because a lot of exciting things is happening in this chapter. So let's get to it. Alchemy should have no part in a Jedi's experience. It is a dark force, arcane and dangerous. It has the power to upset balance. There are other ways. Temple Master Vordona, 10,456 TYA, so your arrival. At Oniel Kesh, Lannery finds herself, without even realizing that she was lost. Their first few days there are strange. There is an orientation process to go through because of the disruptive influence of the chasm below the temple, and Lannery becomes immersed in the talks, meditations, and instruction. She and several other journeyers spend their time in darkened, windowless rooms, away from any sight of the chasm, and a Sith master guides them through varying stages of sickness and uncertainty. The Sith is a wise old man, and he has done this many times before. He sees their discomfort fade, not lessening, because the chasm will always affect anyone strong in the Force, but simply tempered. And in his wisdom, he perceives that Dale is enjoying all this. Lannery's brother says very little over those first few days at the temple, but he exudes a sense of peace that she has not seen in him before. He enjoys witnessing his sister and the other journeyers suffering. They are given several tours of the Oniel Kesh temple, which is even larger and more incredible than Lannery thought. Each of its three giant support legs houses a complex honeycomb of living quarters, the structures designed to afford as much strength as possible to the supports. Within the legs are dampeners the size of cloud chasers, designed to absorb the incredible pressures placed on the temple by frequent and violent storms originating in the chasm. Huge tanks of pneumatic fluid are stored at regular intervals, and there are also several access ports in each leg for escape craft. None has ever been used, and their tour guide assures them that none are needed. Everything here is large and amazing. The architectural and engineering talent on display, awe-inspiring. Their guide seems to take some satisfaction in this. The massive central body of the temple is supported by these legs, hanging directly above the chasm. And floating around the temple itself, the Tho-Yor. Hanging by means unknown, it drifts around Oniel Kesh, so it is believed, in tune with the Force. This central area is the heart of Oniel Kesh. There are several large laboratories here, along with teaching rooms, private studies for temple masters, libraries, hollow suites, and meditation chambers. There are also launch bays from which drones and other equipment are sometimes dropped into the chasm. Lannery is surprised to learn how infrequently this now happens. Every experiment that could safely be carried out on the chasm has already been performed countless times, and still so little is known about the bottomless gorge. Future discoveries, they are told, must arise from more esoteric means. Yet a blazing, pulsing beam of energy is still fired down into the chasm from the very heart of Oniel Kesh, seeking information and readings. 
On the fourth day, the Sith Master frees them from his instruction and tells them that their new masters will be introducing themselves that evening. The rest of the day is their own. I'm going to look at it, Lannery tells Dale. I'm going outside to see. She means the chasm. Even uttering those words causes a flutter of trepidation and excitement in her stomach. She is about to confront something that is still a mystery to even the greatest Jedi, and she wants to do so with her brother. But it's too late. It's nothing, really, he says matter-of-factly. Deep, stormy. I've been out there four times a day since we've been here. I'm more interested in the temple than the chasm, though. Have you seen how long the temple legs are? Have you felt how much it flexes in the wind? He is toying with her, and he knows that she knows. But he doesn't care. His vision is elsewhere now, always. And soon, something is going to happen. Maybe one day she'll wake up, Dale will be gone, and she'll never see him again. Or perhaps it will be worse than that. I'm going to look at it, she says again, and as she pushes past Dale, she feels rather than sees his silent chuckle. There are steps that lead up onto a gangway and outside. The heavy metal doors are always kept locked on the inside, as though something from beyond might wish to gain entry. But the dangers are far less physical. She spins the locking handle on a door, and it swings inward. The blast of air is shocking. Loaded with warm raindrops, gushing against her like the breath of an unimaginable monster, it carries the smell of something mysterious and deep. Rain patters across the floor and spreads inside, and Lannery feels a moment of panic. What is she let in? She makes a quick decision and steps outside, pulling the door closed behind her. Above her arcs one of the three great curving arms of the temple. They act both as counterbalances to the legs and also as transmitters and receivers, gathering atmospheric charge to fuel Anil Kesh's experiments and sending out messages from the temple masters to other Jedi across Tython and beyond. Its mass shelters her somewhat from the storms. But she can still look down. She walks to the edge of the wide viewing platform and grips the railing. She feels the weight of Anil Kesh behind her, and the protective arms seem to hold her within their shadowy grasp. The temple feels on the breath of the chasm, and its sturdy legs absorb every subtle impact of the wind. You always move, seeking to draw my eyes, she says. It is a line from a love poem she once read in an old paper book of her mother's, and she wonders whether the poet had ever visited this place. Looking down, she wonders whether all Jedi are in love with the chasm. It is mystery. It is depth and infinity on the surface of this world they deign to call their home. Its breath is warm and loaded, and deeper down through the mist of torrential rain, she can see the frequent flash of force lightning, erupting in the darkness and illuminating nothing. It is dizzying and thrilling, terrifying and wonderful. She grips the railing so hard that her fingers hurt and her knuckles turn white, not sure she can ever let go. There is a brief ecstatic moment when she is tempted to lift herself over the railing and fall. It will end in death, but she will also get to see the chasm's depth, to know its secrets. It cannot be bottomless. They only say that because no Jedi has reached its bottom and lived. Or none have gone down there and returned, she whispers, the words immediately stolen by the wind. She is drenched through by the rain. The storm whips curtains of water back and forth across the chasm below her. She feels a hand on her shoulder and instantly fears it is Dale come to do her harm. I am the chasm, he said, perhaps meaning that he is a mystery to her now, with a mind that no Jedi will ever be able to fully understand. Lannery freezes. She cannot fight back because she is too shocked and too overcome with a sense of infinity. But then a warm voice says, Come inside, Lannery, where we can begin our talk. 
That first meeting with Master Dan Powell extends long into the night. So this chapter starts off in kind of a spooky manner. Landry wants to go look at the chasm. She asks her brother Dale to join her, but he is not impressed by the chasm. He tells her that he has already went there and looked at it several times. So she proceeds without him. When she reaches the chasm, she is in awe at it. She's like, holy crap, this thing is deep. But much like everyone else that sees it, she thinks back to all the people that have tried to reach the bottom and failed. So as she's looking at it, someone walks up behind her. At first, she thinks it is Dale. Now, this is what gets me. Her first thought is he is going to throw her into the chasm. I think at this point, she knew that her brother was capable of very evil things. She is trying to hold on to the thoughts of her little brother. You know, the memories of the little boy that she loved. But she already knows he is gone. She just doesn't want to accept it yet. But she knows. But it is not him. It is Jedi Master Dan Pal, her most admired Jedi teacher. And this is where Lanry's life changes forever. Let's see what happens next. I told you to never get in my way. Darkness. Pain. She heard her own ragged breathing, felt the troubled beating of her heart. Her head throbbed and pulsed, the core of a raging sun in the center of her brain. Then she knew that voice. I never thought they'd send you after me. She opened her eyes, but the brightness hurt. She closed them. The pain was a weight crushing every part of her. Her scalp was wet and warm, and everything was red. Normally a calm sea, the force within her was now a raging river of confused currents. I thought they'd have more sense. Dale, she thought, and tried to sit up. Someone helped. That surprised her, but she was already gathering her senses. Stay like this. Be weak. Be wounded. I knew you were on to me on Calamar. How? Her voice echoed and thumped in her head, pounding her skull, but she could not help asking the question. Dale did not answer. Didn't think you'd be able to follow. Thought I'd shaken you. But you're persistent. Was that something conflicted in his voice when he talked about her? Lannery could not tell. He had changed so much, and she knew that without even seeing him. In the distance, a deep rumble. What was that? Where is Tree? She remembered his scream, guessed he was dead, and felt a surprising sadness. Tree was not a good Tulek, but he was trying to make himself better. Trying to make up for his past. Lannery opened her eyes again and looked at her brother. He was blurry to begin with, swaying in her vision like a scar serpent waiting to strike. She closed one eye and her sight settled. Dale manifested, down on one knee before her as if questioning one of the Elder Gods. You've grown up, Lannery whispered. Dale laughed. She recognized the sound, but there was something grating in it. Something mad. And he had grown up. Gone were his boyish good looks, replaced by a weathered countenance that carried every day of every year that had passed. He'd lost some of his hair, and what remained was speckled gray. There was a scar on his left cheek. He could have done something about the hair and scar, but she saw no vanity in him at all. No evidence of self-awareness about his appearance. His robe was plain and rough. Everything that Dale was now resided in his mad, glittering eyes. Another thud. She felt it through her behind rather than heard it. Dale glanced up at the ceiling. I've grown in every way, he said. See? Feel. I don't want to... But I'm telling you to! He screamed. Lannery winced as his voice seared into her head, driving spikes of pain into her eyeballs. Perhaps she'd fractured her skull. She tried to feel, to sense, as they'd taught her in Maharakesh when she finished her great journey without her brother. But she was confused. The force flowed through her, but it seemed to stutter. 
she could not examine herself, so instead she delved toward Dale's mind and withdrew just as quickly. He grinned, nodding slowly. You see? He asked. You feel? Lannery nodded, tides of pain washing through her. She sensed nothing at all of the force within him. No light, no dark, no Ashlaw, no Bogan. But he bore an incredible strength that she had only just started to recognize nine years before. It had grown into something solid. She could only call it madness, and yet... And yet Dale's aims and ambitions were defined, and his route to achieving them firmly set. His madness had method. Not many people are completely without your force, eh, Lannery? Not many. Not him. He nodded toward a corner, and Lannery looked, relieved to see Tree propped there. He bled from a wound across his forehead and left eye, and twitched in unconsciousness. Not even most of my stargazers. There were three other people around the room now, other than the Selkath technicians. They were of differing species, but all dressed similar to Dale. Their look resembled that of a religious order, but they were much more than that. And few religions went that heavily armed. Not many people want to be, Lannery said. See... That's why you didn't find me, Dale said, down there in that old, dark place. Because you were looking the wrong way. You were searching as if I'd lost something and fled, not found something and set off on my own path. You were looking for a wounded, dying animal, not the man I've become. I was looking for my brother, and I've already told you, you left the brother you always wanted back in Bodhi with our parents. He's dead now. Long dead. There was another distant impact, and Lannery absorbed it, examined it. She was more conscious and aware now. She thought it was an explosion. What's happening? she asked. Dale stood and approached the covered object on the table. It was the size of a no-grease head, and beneath the sheet it appeared completely spherical. It's almost finished, he said. Almost ready. You know what this is? Yes, Lannery said, bluffing. She knew his aims, and what he planned to use to make them real. But really, she had no idea what the device was. Dale rested his hand on the object almost reverentially. Everything I always wanted. He whispered it almost to himself. Dale, shut up. He didn't even look at her as he spoke, and a sudden change came over him. You're sure? He asked the group huddled in the corner. You're certain? Yes, one of the technicians said. He took one step forward. Your request was, forgive me, vague. We've worked hard. It was a task we relished. And the device is ready to do everything you want of it. It's uh, perfect. One of the finest of our creations. And it pushes at the edge of all our accumulated science. Once it's charged, enough, Dale said, holding up a hand. He glanced at Lannery. You have no idea what you're doing, she said. And you have no idea what I've seen. He nodded at his stargazers. The violence was sudden and shocking. The stargazers, a human, a Twi'lek, and a Cathar, drew blasters and power bows and opened fire on the scientists. Lannery winced but watched, unable to close her eyes. The Selkaths danced and juddered as blasts and bolts ripped into them. Blood splashed, fire sizzled across skin, clothes erupted into flames. In the space of five heartbeats, the scientists were dead, the last one sliding down the wall to slump across her murdered companions. 
it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. We love bringing you more Star Wars, and it is because of our partners that we can do this week after week. So we invite you to be one of those partners. For as little as a dollar a month, you can help us keep this going. Your support will give us the ability to create future episodes, as well as provide you with the best sounding show on your playlist. And to express our appreciation, we will give you a shout out on our mid-series show that we do in the middle of every book. You will also be automatically entered in all future giveaways. All you have to do is go to the show notes and click that listener support link. Now let's get back to the show. Calm, Lannery told herself. Calm. And she sought the Force, readying to use it to save herself. The time must come soon. She had to stop him here and now, and nothing here would end well. Dale looked at Lannery. She could not read his eyes. She felt for her sword, but the scabbard was empty. And now me, she thought. Panic came and she washed it away, seeking the familiar Force to prime herself for action. But her pain was still raw, and shock stoked the storms and uncertainties inside her. You'd lose, Dale said. Maybe you'd take a couple of us with you, but my stargazers are ready for you. The first touch on their mind and a blaster would open your skull, or a power bolt would cook your heart. Lannery breathed long and slow, and the moment stretched on. I wish, Dale said. She looked for weakness, but saw none. He was expressing frustration, not regret. Wish what? I wish you'd understood. I wish you could have opened your mind to our past. Your force is so constricting. You think it gives you power. You're taught that it's great, but it binds you. You're blinkered by it, but my eyes are wide open. We see the stars. We have a place in the universe that was taken from us by the Thoyor. They stole us away, brought us here, denied us the future we deserved. And I'm going to take it back. You'll kill everyone. No. Dale said, smiling. I know what I'm doing. Dark matter? Gree technology, Dale? You're playing with something beyond anything we can even hope to understand. Lannery nodded at the bodies still steaming and twitching in the corner. You heard them. Even they said that thing is at the edge of known science, and edges break away. Gather it up, Dale said to his stargazers. He turned his back on Lannery. There was another explosion somewhere far away. Dale, what have you done? she asked. She stood slowly, holding onto a wheeled tool cart for support. The Cathar watched her, his gun at the ready. Started a little fight. Dale turned to face her again. For an instant, she felt a flush of memories, but they were all good ones of her time with her brother. They did not belong here. With whom? I arranged that the Newell Tandor Dome would find out about Pan Deep's continuing business with the Jedi, and they hate them. Many survivors from the bombed domes live there now landed one of my stargazers there, and by now she'll have killed several of their corporation's presidents with a Jedi sword. Where did you get... Lannery asked, but then it fell into place. Kara. Greenwood Station will be blamed for the murders, and its alliance with the Jedi, Dale said, his expression unchanging. Skirmishes are common on Nox, and it won't be the first conflict between Newell Tandor and another dome. Covering your tracks, Lannery said. Dale shrugged. Behind him, his stargazers had wrapped the device in the sheet. 
It did not seem at all heavy, and the Twilic held it to her chest. They were waiting for Dale to leave. Just like you did on Tython, Lannery continued. One hand delved into her utility belt beneath the robe, rolling the item she sought between thumb and forefinger. A tracker, small and sharp. Leaving your bloodied clothes for me to find. Letting our family believe you dead. I liked being dead, Dale said. It gave me freedom from your constant efforts to push the force on me when I never, ever wanted it. Another low rumble and a vibration from above. Soon I'll be believed dead again and gone from here. Free to pursue my own fate. Dale, you don't know what... I should kill you. Dale pulled a blaster from beneath his robe and stood with it pointing down at the floor. He was incredibly still, like a statue. Even his eyes seemed to have died. He's inside, Lannery thought, and she wondered what he was finding in there, what he was thinking and the decisions he was making, and she knew that now was the time to push. She would push hard and violently, smashing aside those mental defenses he might believe he had built against her. But I can't, Dale said. He turned aside and holstered his blaster. Lannery brought out her hand and flicked the tracker, closing her eyes, concentrating, and guiding it quickly across the room until it attached to Dale's right boot. Then she opened her eyes and looked around, but no one had seen anything. Perhaps she had been lucky. Perhaps. Dale did not even spare her a final glance. With a single nod at the Cathar, he left the room the same way Lannery and Tree had entered. The Twi'lek carrying the device followed, along with the human stargazer. The Cathar remained, gun aimed at Lannery. It was a heavy blaster, and its muzzle still glowed warm. Lannery clenched her fingers, readying a force punch. Try, the Cathar said. You know I can't just stand here and let him leave. You won't be standing there for long. Lannery twitched her finger, and a tool flipped from the wide table, clanging against the wall. The stargazer didn't even blink. He doesn't want to hear you die, the Cathar said. That's kind of my brother. He is kind. The only kind man I've ever met. Lannery glanced at the huddled, bloody bodies in the corner. They were unkind, the Cathar said. They hid down here instead of looking to the stars. She sensed movement from the other side of the room. She did not look, but she knew the tree was stirring. He's going to kill everyone, she said. Once he initiates that device, the dark matter will form a black hole and everyone in the system... He knows that won't happen. The stars call. They tell him. Oh, so the stars speak to him, Lannery said, laughing softly. And he's not mad? The Cathar blinked slowly, but she was not even putting a chink in his convictions. Come on, Tree, she thought. Tree groaned. The Cathar glanced his way. Lannery force shoved with everything she had. Tools and loose components rattled across the table and flew at the stargazer. A cabinet tipped and bounced across the floor. A hail of bolts and snipped wires became a stinging rain that raked across his chest and face, ripping skin and blinding him. She ducked down and force punched, shoving the Cathar back against the wall beside the door. His blaster fired, the shot smashing a hole in the ceiling. Molten material and rock fragments showered down. Then the stargazer clasped at his belt, weeping blood from ruptured eyes, and a look of ecstasy broke across his face. Oh no, Lannery muttered. She looked at Tree and saw that he was barely conscious, and with every shred of strength and effort she had of the Force, she reached for him and dragged him halfway across the room toward her. His eyes opened comically wide as he slid without being touched, and as he reached her and she clasped his clothing, Lannery shouted, Bomb! explosion was deafening, shattering, assaulting her body and mind and senses, and she felt herself thrown around like a snowflake in a storm. 
So as we just heard, Dale has grown up and he is not the same boy that Landry knew when they were children. He is a man now, a harsh man. He has no remorse. He doesn't even care that his sister is laying on the floor bleeding. As she wakes up, he pushes her to view his mind. So she does it and it's bad. She sees him without the force, which is kind of weird as we are told that metachlorians hold the entire universe together. Everything has metachlorians in it, but not Dale. This made me want to do a little bit more research. And then I remembered that Luke in The Last Jedi shut himself off to the force so he could not be found. So we know a person can do that, but Luke was a powerful Jedi and Dale is not. So how does he do it? We may never know. Something else that I wanted to cover is Dale starts a war between the two domes on Knox. He does this to cover his getaway. This shows how determined and at what length he will go to achieve his goals. He is willing to sacrifice innocent people by starting a war, that's just evil. But this is also the second time that he tries to kill his sister. He never has the heart to do it himself. He leaves his minion behind to do it for him. The minion tells Landry that Dale doesn't want to hear it. Then when Landry takes the man down using the force, the man has a bomb and it goes off. But at the last second, with the help of the force, Landry pulls Tree to her and then a table in front of her and that absorbs the blast. Tree and Landry are pushed to the limits at this point by her brother. So let's see what happens next. With her parents, it was the arts. Her mother wrote the most beautiful poetry and her father was a sculptor, his work venerated all across Masera. But Lannery's calling lay in science and alchemy, and how the Force could be used for both. She discovers that at O'Neill Kesh, and she revels in it. Master Dan Powell shows her the way. The Cathar Temple Master has taught at O'Neill Kesh for 16 years, and at the end of their first long night of discussion, she tells Lannery that she has the potential to be her greatest pupil. Do you say that to everyone? Lannery asks, proud but suspicious. I've said it to no one before, Dan Powell replies. Over the next few days, the studies begin, and Lannery is amazed. She immerses herself in Dan Powell's instruction, and in doing so, her troubles with Dale fade away. They don't disappear completely. There is always a shadow and a sense of impending change in her life. But she sleeps better than she has since leaving home, feels happier, and realizes that her mind has always been too focused on her brother. Dan Powell makes her understand that this is her great journey as well. And though Lannery cannot give up on Dale, for the first time, she places herself before him. With the chasm beneath them, Oniel Kesh has a different feel from all the other temples. Every moment there is rich, filled with potential, and edged with a sense of danger. Lannery has never felt so alive. It is as if the cells of her body are charged, her mind on fire. When she mentions this, Dan Powell smiles and nods. We balance on the precipice of knowledge, she says. The unknown lies below us, always threatening to draw us down or rise up and swallow us. The force is charged and powerful here. Anyone familiar can feel and sense it, but if you're powerful with the force... She grimaces and presses a fist to her forehead. Sometimes it hurts, but it's a hurt worth weathering. Dan Powell introduces her to sciences that Lannery has only ever heard or read about. She knows of Jedi who are disturbed by some of what occurs at Oniel Kesh, but she listens to the Master wide-eyed and with an open mind. She finds plenty to concern her, but so much more that fascinates. She's aware of Dan Powell's watching her carefully, taking stock. She is eager to please. In the storage pens in one of the temple's supporting arms are the altered animals. Taken from the Abyss of Rue, a dangerous place deep in the rift 600 kilometers to the east, these strange and fearsome creatures have been genetically manipulated using the Force to serve the Jedi. Lannery is amazed at the changes in them, 
None are hurt or damaged, and it's as if their alterations are the true wish of evolution. Sam Powell takes her through a network of laboratories. In one, weapons are altered and adapted using force-driven metallurgy. In another, weapons specific to the force are being tested. Chemicals are changed and transmuted. Solids have their structures reformed. And the wild power of the chasm beneath them is harnessed in thick-walled compounds, dancing and flashing, striking and snapping like a living thing. It is in the last room that Dan Powell shows her that Lannery knows her future lies. The talents needed for this are deep, the Jedi Master says. The risk's great, but the rewards are huge. I'm going to teach you. Lannery stares at the two Jedi in the center of the room. Before each of them is a shape, something that should not live, yet it flexes and breathes. A thing that should not be, yet here it is. Wrought from their own flesh and blood, Dan Powell says, and nurtured using the Force. Lannery is terrified and thrilled. She has heard of this, but never thought it was true. Never suspected she would see it for herself. The alchemy of flesh, she whispers. Despite her fear, she is eager to begin. Now I wanted to stop right here and talk about Lannery and how she is learning alchemy from Master Dan Powell. What is alchemy? Alchemy is the manipulation of matter, metal, flesh, or energy. And I think the sound effects in the background, this is how the first lightsabers were made. Just something I wanted to point out. Let's get back to the story. Tell me you can get us out of here. Tree's voice. His urgency pulled her quickly back to her senses. That and the stench of sewage and death. Everything ached, and in a few places she hurt terribly. Her head still throbbed as if someone were jumping up and down on it. She smelled blood and knew it was her own. But Tree was far from gentle as he grabbed her beneath the armpits and tried to haul her upright. Lannery shoved him back and sent him stumbling into the shattered table. She looked around and tried to take stock. It looked bad. The Cathar stargazer had exploded his suicide vest, demolishing the wall and bringing down most of the ceiling. The doorway was blocked by torn metal and smashed stone, and fractured rock had fallen behind it. The rest of the ceiling was spattered with his blood, a great swath of it burned black by the bomb's fire flash. The remainder of the large room was a mess. Scientists' bodies scattered from the corner where they'd been massacred. Tools and components everywhere. The large central table ruptured and splintered. If she hadn't pulled Tree behind there with her, they'd have both died. There was a wide crack in one wall, and through this seeped a steady stream of effluent. A pipe or chute had been ruptured somewhere, and the leak was speeding up rather than slowing down. Look, Tree said, pointing. Another door there! He was almost shouting, and blood ran from his ears. Lannery also heard the fading whine from her tortured eardrums, but that was the least of her worries. That Cathar's bomb can't have done that, she said, pointing at the rent in the wall. It was on the opposite side of the room from the doorway the explosion had blocked. There was another explosion when I was trying to wake you, Tree said. Far away! Up there! To feel it down here, it must have been big! What's happening? What if we started? A war! And Dale started it! Come on, we've got to stop him leaving Greenwood Station! I feel sick, Tree said. It stinks! My head hurts! I think my skull might be- I'll break it myself, Lannery said. Come on! Help me with this door! She searched the room for her sword, knowing she would not find it, mourning its loss. Tem Madog himself had forged that sword for her. She'd rather have lost an arm. Perhaps it had been dropped somewhere beyond that blocked doorway. Or maybe Dale had taken it with him. They tried the door, but it was electronically locked. Cover your ears, Lannery said. 
She concentrated on the lock and forced shut, crushing the mechanism and shorting the circuits. The door slid open, and a flood of sewage washed in around their feet. She and Tree clasped hands to keep their balance. The thought of falling into that mess. When the levels of filth had equalized, they left the room and emerged into one of Pan Deep's corridors. It was long and empty, and several other doors led off it. They were all closed, marked only with laboratory numbers, and Lannery had no wish to open them. Soft, reactive lighting glowed behind ceiling panels, and on the walls were touch panels, 3D hollow screens, and several indentations that might have housed implement printers. This was advanced tech for a place so hidden away. The money pumped into Pan Deep must have been vast. They saw no one else. Perhaps the six murdered scientists were the only ones who worked here. Or maybe Dale had paid others to stay away. Not much of a head start, she thought, but he'll know his way up. Would have an escape route planned from here and from the city. She could barely believe the enormity of the events that Dale had set in motion. Initiating a battle between two domes, cities whose specialty was the design and manufacture of weapons of war, was as good as murdering the battle's victims himself. All to cover his tracks. It was brutal. It was inhuman. He claimed freedom from the Force, but willingly removing himself from its influence had made him a monster. Pandeep was not as large as she'd imagined. At the end of the corridor, they emerged into a rough cavern, at the other end of which a string of lights led into a tunnel that sloped slowly upward. The cavern floor was swilling with sewage, and the stink was almost unbearable, but Lannery knew that a person could get used to a lot in extreme circumstances. Even Tree was surprising her. He'd quickly stopped complaining and wiped the blood from his face and ears, and now he nudged her shoulder and pointed. Think he'll have set traps? He thinks we're dead, she said. Another blast rumbled down from above, spilling grit and dust from the cavern ceiling. From somewhere close by came a shattering, grinding crack, shaking the floor and setting the air itself vibrating. And we don't have time for caution, Lannery said. I think they're using plasma bombs up there. We've got to get clear of Greenwood Station and back to the Peacemaker, or this will be our grave. Laid to rest in a bath of shack, Tree said. Well, I guess I had it coming. Lannery laughed out loud. Tree's eyes went wide with surprise, and then they ran. It was a journey through a nightmare. Flowing sewage, crumbling walls, three security grills that Lannery had to force shove open before they could continue. And what made it worse was the uncertainty of what they were moving toward. The farther they went, the louder the noises of battle. But they had little choice. Frustration and fear drove her on. Not fear for herself so much as for the countless people who Dale's scheme would put at risk, and not only those now dying in the conflict initiated here. Seeing the shape of the device beneath the dust sheet had been strange, that something so small might contain such energies. The pursuit had clouded her thoughts about the Hypergate, and the truth or not of its existence. But seeing Dale again, and his madness, and being so close to the device that might be born of greed technology, had all combined to focus her thoughts. It was just possible that the device would work, which would be amazing, and the consequences of that she could not allow herself to consider. But it was much more likely that it would doom them all. The farther they fled from beneath the massive tower's foundation, the greater the impact of the explosions. When she reached her peacemaker, she would contact the Jedi Council and tell them of events here, and maybe they could intervene in time to prevent a greater tragedy. But doing so might be admitting their continued interest in Greenwood Station and the laboratories and expertise of Pan Deep. Perhaps they would be happier to let the domed city meet its fate and fade away from memory. 
Their route took them upward, and Tree commented several times that they should have already reached street level. But they had no time to pause, and when Lannery consulted her wrist unit, the schematics were confused. She could not pin down their location on the plans. People passed by them in both directions, none sparing them a glance. They were all wide-eyed and scared. At last, they reached a set of heavy blast doors. Lannery used the force to fry their controls, and Tree found a heavy iron bar to pry them open. Heat and noise flooded in, the stenches and sounds of chaos, and Lannery stumbled through onto a wide balcony several stories above the ground. They had emerged just above the base of the central tower, overlooking Greenwood Station's western side. The sounds, sights, and chaos of war were almost overwhelming. They were confronted with a scene that took their breaths away. So Larry and Tree escaped the bomb and Pandy to find the dome is under attack. It was a nightmare of chaos when they finally get back up to the main street. But they still must find their way back to Larry's ship. And that's where the author leaves us in this chapter. Great tactic to keep us coming back for more. And I can't wait to find out what happens next. So I will see you then. Thank you for listening to Sway. Join us next time for more Star Wars adventures. If you would like to listen to other episodes of the show, you can find us and subscribe on your favorite podcast directory. If you enjoyed the show, we would greatly appreciate a five-star review. Once again, thank you for listening, and may the Force be with you. Sway was created by Keen Eye Shit and is a production of Pick Film Media. This show was produced by Quentin McDaniel, sound designed by Theodore Thompson, researched by Tammy Turner. I am your host, Kyle, and we will see you next time in a galaxy far, far away.